Good afternoon. It's a joy to be here today. Um, once, each time we gather together to, to be reminded of what a blessing it is that we have uh, the relationship with one another, that we can come together, that we can remember the sacrifice of Jesus, that we can praise him in song. Um, sometimes week after week as we assemble, it becomes something that just becomes routine. Um, but I think it's helpful each time we gather together to, to remember just how valuable uh, it is to have one another uh, and to have a setting such as this that we can worship the Lord together. We talked, uh, I guess it might have been two weeks ago, uh, about developing a genuine passion for God and how when we think about our own spirituality, we can't simply think about all the outward things, the visible things, the things that other people might see. We need to really search our hearts and think about how committed, how devoted, how passionate we are in our relationship with the Lord. And how we need to cultivate a greater reverence for God, a greater love for God, that everything that we do outwardly needs to grow out of a genuine passion, a deep passion for the Lord. And I want to continue thinking along those lines today as we consider developing a passion for the assembly. Um, and when we talk about the assembly, what we're talking about is really developing a passion for the local church. The word church more accurately or maybe more literally can be translated assembly. And while we're not only a church when we are gathered together, uh, us gathering together, us assembling, is one of the most foundational aspects of, of what makes us a church. That we do come together. That we do work together. Uh, and so I want us to consider the value and the importance of the local assembly. And many times we we might be tempted to kind of separate our passion for God and our passion for the assembly. Uh, you may have heard the phrase, oh, I'm, I'm spiritual but not religious. And I, I don't know what everybody means when they say that, but I'm afraid that sometimes what is meant when we say that is I, I want to have my own personal relationship with God without the obligation of any um, uh, accountability to any religious organization, to any other group of people. I just want to have my own spiritual relationship with the Lord uh, without uh, having the, the, the burden of, of being accountable to anyone else. Well, we really can't separate the two when it comes to serving God. God didn't design it that we just have our personal relationship with the Lord and that's it. Now, if, if we don't start there, uh, then it doesn't matter what else we get right. But if we have a genuine passion for the Lord, I think we're going to see that that needs to translate into a passion for his people, a passion for his church, and in our case, a passion for this local assembly. Sometimes when we talk about the importance of assembly, we, we want to focus a lot on attendance. You know, what constitutes faithful attendance? How often does someone need to attend services? At what point can it be said that someone is forsaking the assembly? I think those are all legitimate questions to ask and to discuss, but if, if, if that's where our focus is, I'm afraid our focus is misplaced. 
Because our, our first question when it comes to the assembly needs to be, why is it important? We need to get to the heart of the issue. Do we have the genuine passion and devotion to one another that God desires that we have for one another? And so that's what I want us to talk about today, because I think if we get to the heart of the issue, then all the outward matters will, will eventually take care of themselves. And so why is the assembly important? If we fully comprehend its importance, if we fix the motivation problem, uh, then we can deal with the other. But why should we be passionately and deeply committed to the local church? What makes the assembly important? Where we will start today is its importance to me. And I think this is often where we focus a lot. If there's somebody who is struggling with their uh, attendance, we need to go talk to them about being in the assembly. We, we focus on their need to be in the assembly. You need to be here for you. Without the edification and encouragement of your brethren, you cannot be spiritually healthy. You're, you're going to be starving yourself spiritually if you're neglecting uh, the assembly of the saints. John MacArthur tells a story about uh, a pastor who went out to a wayward member uh, to talk to him about his attendance on, on a cold winter night. And he comes into the house and they sit down next to the fire. And the wayward member knows what this visit is about. He knows why he's there. He's expecting this harsh rebuke for not being in the assembly. But the pastor just stays silent for a while. And they look at the fire together. And eventually the, the pastor takes some tongs and he takes a coal out of the fire and he sets it there on the hearth. And they sit in silence for a little bit as they watch that glowing ember slowly start to darken. It gets darker and darker and eventually it burns out and it's cold and lifeless sitting by itself there on the hearth. After a few moments of, of somber silence, the, the pastor takes the coal and he puts it back inside the fire. And they watch as that fire rekindles the dark, cold ember uh, until it again is glowing brightly. The pastor didn't say a single word, but he preached a sermon there about our need to be stirred up by one another. God designed the assembly to stir us up, to stir us up to love and good works, as we read just a moment ago. God didn't design it that I can be spiritually sufficient on my own. I need that encouragement. I need that stirring up, that edification from one another. We need the zeal and the warmth of one another to keep our fires burning brightly to the Lord. Because it doesn't matter how brightly I'm, I'm burning on my own, if I stay isolated in my faith, I, I am doomed to, to slowly die out. I need that stirring up of one another, and that's how God designed it. I need my brethren. And throughout the Bible, we see God picturing the church in a way to emphasize our need for one another. We have talked recently in our authority class about a lot of different pictures of the church and how they illustrate the idea of authority to us. The body illustrates Christ as head. The flock illustrates Christ as the shepherd. Uh, the, the temple illustrates Christ as the chief cornerstone. But another thing that all of those pictures illustrate to us is our need for one another. 
Think about the body for a moment. As a body, we are to be knit together for nourishment. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you'll turn over there. 1 Corinthians 12, here we have one of the most extensive treatments of this illustration of of the church as a body. And if you want to start reading with me in verse 17, Paul writes, If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. For they were all, if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. Here, notice it says there, in verse 18, that God placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. The church as a body was God's design. God designed it that we each have different strengths and different weaknesses. We each have different roles and we are all put together and knit together as a body is so that we might be able to help each other grow. So that we might be able to function properly, to help each other in doing the work that God has uh, entrusted to us. Why did God put us together like that? Because we need one another. On our own, we are incomplete. We need each other to function and grow. And when you remove some member of the body, it's tantamount to to amputation. Well, what's going to happen if you amputate a hand, if you amputate a leg? Is that leg going to continue to, to live and to thrive on its own? No, within a matter of a, a few moments, it's going to start to die. The, the blood is going to be drained out of it. This illustration of body shows us we need the nourishment of being together, of receiving that, that oxygen, the, the blood being pumped throughout the body. Us functioning together is how God designed for us to be. And not only do we see this in the illustration of the body, but think about the illustration of a flock. As a flock, we are packed together for protection. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter talks there to elders or or shepherds, the shepherd, the flock of God among them. And I don't think it is an accident that later on down in verse 8, Peter says, be on the alert, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's just been using this illustration of the flock and the shepherds looking out for the flock, and then he warns them about the lion. You think in in a flock, what what sheep is the lion, or in other cases in the scripture, what, what sheep is the wolf going to go after? Does the lion just rush madly into the middle of the flock? Uh seeking the the sheep next to the shepherd? No, he's going to look for one that's separated from the flock, that he can single out, that he can steer away from the rest of the flock and pursue on its own. I think we see the same thing with the devil. Uh, Roaming about as a roaring lion, seeking somebody vulnerable, seeking somebody that he may devour. And so, as a flock, you, you don't just allow the flock to disperse itself all over the place. We, we pack together 
so that we might find protection, first and foremost, so that we might be near to the shepherd, but also we might be near to one another. Think about the illustration of us as the Lord's army. Paul in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25 talks about Epaphras as his fellow soldier. You know, how do we as, as fellow soldiers function in this spiritual warfare? Are we each just kind of fighting our own personal battle? Well, certainly we have our own personal obligations, but we are to be a band of brothers. We, we are to be helping one another in that fight. We are to be uh, encouraging each other, fighting side by side. There is strength in numbers. What about the illustration of a temple? In 1 Peter, we see that illustration. I think we see that uh, a temple is not just a bunch of stones sitting around all by themselves, but they're stacked together for support. And we are to edify one another. What does the word edify mean? Edifice, it means to build up. And in that illustration of, of 1 Peter, we see that the, we are in our personal relationships, building relationships on the fo- common foundation of Jesus Christ. And so all of these illustrations describe to us the type of relationship that we need to have with one another, that God designed for us to have, even the church as a family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to live together in love. We are a have a a brotherhood, a companionship, a fellowship with one another uh, that draws us together and gives us comfort and strength. And God designed it that way because we need one another. Turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 here shows us the, the wisdom of companionship. Starting in verse 9, we read, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion, but woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if one lies down, uh, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Here we see there is great value in companionship. Verse 9 shows us the effectiveness of working together. Many hands make light work. There is a good return for their labor. Verse 10 shows us the the importance of accountability and protecting one another. If one falls down and he's all by himself, nobody's going to be there to pick him up. We are to have a close enough relationship with one another. God designed it. We might have a close enough relationship with one another that if one of us falls, another will see it. And another will be in a position to reach out and to help lift him up. We need to be cultivating those type of relationships. Uh, We need to be offering those kind of relationships. We need to be receiving those type of relationships. In verse 11, we see the, the warmth together. If two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? We need to be there to comfort, to encourage one another. In verse 12, and if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. We see there is great strength in numbers. And he's been talking about two throughout this entire thing, but he ends the passage in verse 12 by saying a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. And I think we, we could expound this two, 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 three, four, five, six, 
God designed it that we be building relationships with one another, that we can strengthen and encourage each other, that, that uh, a cord of, of 20, 30 strands might have great strength, might be effective in the work of the Lord. And so you need to be here. You need encouragement. You need strength. You need accountability. But it's not just to be about me, is it? In fact, the passage that we read in Hebrews chapter 10 doesn't really say a whole lot about me and my need for the assembly, does it? I need to realize that it's not just important to me, it's important to you. Look in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 again with me. The primary focus here is not my need, but my responsibility. It says in verse 24, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's not just about me. It's not just about my need. My motivation needs not just to be the encouragement that I can receive and what I can get out of it. My motivation needs to be, I need to be there for you. I need to consider how I can stir you up, how I can encourage you. It's not just uh, you encouraging me, you serving my needs, you making me feel good. The question that I need to ask is, what can I do for you? Let me encourage you. Let me serve your needs. Let me build you up. And that really is the attitude that needs to characterize our entire lives. That's what the Christian life is about. It's not just about what you can do for me. We need to be motivated by love, not just a sense of personal obligation or personal need. It's not that, you know, in every other area of our life, we need to be selfless and loving. But when it comes to our spiritual life, suddenly we're, it's okay to be self-centered. Even in our spiritual lives, brethren, we can't be self-centered. We need to seek to give. Jesus says in Acts 20 and verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I think that applies more than just physical things. It's more blessed to be an encourager. It's more blessed to be one who is serving others, to be one who is lifting others up. That needs to be my attitude at all times. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. That doesn't just apply when you're going throughout your life from day to day. That implies when you're here. When you enter these doors, what, what is your attitude? Is your attitude, well, I, I hope... You know, the preacher can encourage me today. And I hope this Bible class is helpful to me today. And I hope the singing, you know, is is upbeat and encouraging so that that I feel good when I leave. Is that what my focus is? Because I tell you, if if that is all that I'm thinking about, I'm going to leave quite a few times being kind of discouraged. What God desires for our focus to be is what can I do to encourage today? What can I do to lift up others today? How can I be focused on your spiritual needs? We need to consider one another. That takes some forethought. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works. What can you do as you have opportunity in the midst of these brethren to be an encouragement? 
We need to think, as, as I'm singing these songs, what can I do to encourage those around me? As we're praying these prayers together, uh, maybe I can say an amen at the giving of thanks. We have an example of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. To show, yes, I am praying that prayer with you. What can I do in our Bible classes? What can I do even now uh, in the, the sermon portion of our assembly? To, to be an encouragement to those around me. What, what can I do uh, before and after services in interacting with others? How can I be an encouragement today? Because, brethren, all those things that we just said about my need for the assembly is also true of your need. The assembly is also true of what I need to be providing for you. As, as a member of this flock, I have a responsibility to look out for my fellow sheep. As a member of this body, I have a responsibility to, to help the body function, to help nourish and encourage you. As a member of this temple, I have a responsibility to, to support you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 and 16 that we read earlier says, For the body is not one member. But many. If the foot says, Because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, is it for this reason any less a part of the body? If the ear says, Because I am not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, is it for this reason any less a part of the body? I'm afraid sometimes that, that describes our attitude. We think, Well, yeah, the, of course, the, the preacher, he has a responsibility to encourage. And the song leader, yeah, he has a responsibility to encourage. And those other people who, who are teaching in class or you know, serving in these other ways, they have responsibility. But, well, me, I, I don't really have much of a responsibility. Not true. God says each and every part of this body has been put there for a reason. And maybe the reason that I think I don't have much of a responsibility is because I'm neglecting the responsibility I have in the first place. I need to be looking for ways to encourage to lift up. That is what God has put me here in this body to do. And that needs to be a motivation. I need to be motivated by love for you. I want to encourage you. I want to build you up. And I want to do anything that I can at any opportunity that I have to help you grow spiritually. That's why I need to be here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 is the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself and love. How is this body going to grow? How is this body going to, to function to the glory of God? By each and every part, each and every joint doing its role. How, how does the church grow? Whether it be in maturity or in number, how, how does the church accomplish its work effectively? Well, we, we just need to, to get, you know, a, a good evangelist in here. We just need to get some good elders. No, that's not how it works. The church grows by every member doing its part. That's how God designed it. I have a responsibility, and when I don't fulfill my role, the body suffers. And, you know, I, I said we weren't going to talk much about attendance, but just to make the point, an empty chair does not edify. An empty chair doesn't encourage anybody. In fact, there are times that it can be a discouragement. I need to be thinking about what I can do to encourage others. 
And if I'm not here, I can't do it. Brethren, we need you. Because God designed it that way. This is not just, you know, did, did, I, did I check my church attendance box this week? It's, was I there to encourage? I, I'm afraid sometimes we, we, get, we get the idea that, well, as, you know, as, as long as I find some way to fit in partaking the Lord's Supper on Sunday, then I'm good. No. I, I have a responsibility to these brethren, to this church, that goes much beyond that. I need to not just be thinking of it, uh, was I there? Did I fulfill my responsibility? And that applies certainly to much more than just this assembly. But I want to make one more point, and I think this is really the most important thing that we can consider. Not only its importance to me, not only its importance for you, but its importance to God. If I want to know how valuable the assembly is, I need to ask the question, well, how valuable is it to God? Because I want to have his perspective. I want to have his attitude about it. How does God feel about the church? Well, as his possession, I think we can consider the price that he paid for it. If you want to know how valuable something is to somebody, well, how much did they pay for it? Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 tells us uh, here, Paul speaking to the pastors in Ephesus, says, Shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You don't know how valuable these people are to God. Look at the cross. Look at the price that Jesus paid for it. Look what he was willing to sacrifice. His suffering. He bled for these people. He sacrificed his life. Now, think for a moment, how does that compare to what I'm willing to pay? How does that compare to what I'm willing to sacrifice for these souls? Am I willing to sacrifice three or four hours a week? Am I willing to sacrifice my time, my effort, my energy, my leisure time? Am I willing to construct my schedule around making sure that I am fulfilling my responsibility to these people? Or is it just something that gets swept aside when other more pressing things come along? You know, the first century Christians followed Jesus' example of sacrificing for the local church. Think about in the times of, of the book of Revelation, when there is government persecution against Christians, when they are assembling at threat to their lives, think about the type of commitment and devotion that they had to have to come together knowing that if they were found out, they could lose their very lives. My family might die because we chose to be here. Brethren, if I'm not willing to sacrifice my leisure time, if I'm not willing to sacrifice my uh, work time, my, my place on the ball time team, whatever it may be, for the assembly, can I really say that I'd be willing to sacrifice my life for it? I think that needs to illustrate the type of commitment that we have to God's people.
That's the type of commitment that Jesus had to them. And not only do we see how valuable the church is to God by the price that he paid, what he was willing to sacrifice, but I think as his bride, we can consider his love for the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, it describes us in the most intimate human relationship possible, the deepest human relationship in marriage, that Christ is our groom. We are his bride. And he loves us. He nourishes us. He cherishes us. He laid down his life on our behalf. You think about how invested Christ is in this relationship. How invested are you in that relationship? Do you love his bride the way that he loves his bride? You know, we talked last week uh, in the Lord's Supper about how the Lord's Supper can be uh, compared in some ways to a funeral, as we are remembering Christ's death, but also we're told that we are reminded of the covenant. This is the blood of the covenant. We're reminded of our marriage covenant to the Lord our relationship with him. And so as in some ways it's a funeral, in other ways it's an anniversary meal, an anniversary celebration. As you think about it in that way, I want you to imagine if your spouse was to schedule a nice fancy dinner to celebrate your anniversary, and while they are sitting at the restaurant waiting for you, you get caught up at work, you get tired, you decide to go home and take a nap, it slips your mind that they're there waiting for you to uh, remember your anniversary together. Maybe you uh, just don't want to miss your favorite TV program at home. How invested do you think they would think you were in that relationship? If they had scheduled the time to remember your marriage covenant, it just slipped your mind. Something else became more important. Is that what we do to the Lord? I think how committed we are to to his bride, how committed we are to this relationship that that we have with one another and that we have with him, uh, is going to show in the way that we treat the ascension. Sometimes we, we... Look at, at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together. And we say, so what, what does it mean to forsake the assembly? You know, if, if you miss this much, is it, is it forsaking? If you miss that much, is it forsaking? Well, if we want to define the word forsake, let, let's go to another passage. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Insert my definition of forsake. Do do I want Jesus to define forsake the way that I define forsake? Jesus says, I'm going to be there for you. No matter what, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How do I feel about forsaking his people? We need to have that type of commitment to this relationship that we share with the Lord, that we share with one another. Um, And and as I 
drive that point home, I, I, I want to make it clear, I understand we have other responsibilities in our service to the Lord. And there are times where we may simply not be able to be there. We may not be able to encourage our brethren uh, with the opportunity that, that we're given uh, like we would want to. But what we're addressing is a matter of attitude. Um, and I think if, if we have the type of attitude towards the church that Jesus has towards the church, it's going to show. It's going to show in the way that we treat the assembly. And not only can we see this as we think about the price that he paid for it, as we think about the relationship that he has with it as his bride, but even more intimate than that relationship, he describes the church as his own body. How are we treating Christ's body? Matthew chapter 25 and verse 40. We're told, the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. How we treat our brethren is how we treat Christ. Remember in Acts chapter 9 when uh, Christ appears to Paul on the road to Damascus? What does he say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The way that Saul was treating the church is the way that Saul was treating Christ. How am I treating Christ? Imagine for a moment that you found out that Jesus was going to come in the flesh to our assembly on Tuesday night. How would you feel about that? Jesus is going to be there? I want to be there. Brother, Jesus is going to be there. Jesus' body is there. And so my attitude towards this group of people, towards my brethren, towards the church, reflects my attitude towards Jesus. I need to treat these people the way that I desire to treat the Lord. And this lesson today is, is not meant for, for me to, to sit here and say, well, you know, so-and-so, they, they really need this lesson. And maybe so-and-so need, needs to hear this. I need to hear this. Forsaking the assembly is not just about not being here. Brother, we, we can sit here the entire time and forsake the assembly. Am I devoted to encouraging and building up these brethren? Am I coming here not just to, to check off some, some checkbox, but to serve and encourage and build up Christ's body? How important is the assembly as this local church to you? Is the church as important to you as it is to Jesus? We need to be cultivating that type of passion for these people. You need the assembly. I need the assembly. Your brethren need the assembly. And God desires uh, the building up and the encouragement of this group of people. God loves his church. We need to love it the same. If you've recognized today that in some way or another uh, you 
have not been reflecting the, the heart of God and your attitude towards these brethren, won't you make that change today? If it's something that you feel that you need to confess to these brethren, that you need to ask their prayers, uh, then we want to give you an opportunity to do that. But let's each resolve in our heart today that as we cultivate this passion for the Lord, we're also cultivating a passion for his people, for these people. If there's any way that we can help you uh, make your life right with the Lord, if you need to commit your life to him for the first time, to become part of his body, to become part of his family and his temple, by his grace, you've been given that opportunity. Don't let the opportunity pass you by. If there's anything we can do to help you at this time, we ask that you'll let us know as we sing.